Welcome to the Gifted in Real Life podcast, where we discuss all things gifted learning, whether you yourself are gifted, you're parenting, counseling, or helping to launch someone gifted. This is the place to discuss your journey without the fear of judgment. I insist that you relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to Gifted in Real Life, where we talk about all things related to gifted learners and gifted education. Today, we have a very special guest, someone that has a special place in my heart. I've known her for a long time, Miss Janetta Dixon. Hello. Hi, Janetta. <laughs> so before we get started, can you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and just a little bit about what you do? Okay, my name is Janetta Dixon, and I am a counselor, a high school counselor. And um, what else you want to know? I'm married. <laughs> I have a son who is a junior in high school, and um, I don't know what else. What else? That's it. That's good. That's just that's totally fine. Whatever you want to share. So the so our conversation today will just be about. Um, just how education really does serve students, uh, particularly gifted and twice exceptional learners. I want to talk a little bit about your experience in school and just kind of go from there. Okay, so my personal experience? or my yes. Oh, well, I, I love school and I uh, was, um, I guess, encouraged by my teachers once they found out that I was a pretty good reader. I think that that's what help motivate me to like school more once I got that piece down. So my first grade teacher, she was old school and she um, noticed that I had a knack for reading and she would take me around the school and let me read to teachers. And I think that is what motivated me to become more of a leader and become more outspoken. I would um, teach in my church. I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher, but I was teaching when I was really young, I was a, a, a teacher in my church. I used to teach our Sabbath school classes and um, I, I, I always enjoyed school. I, I, I performed well in school and, and I enjoyed it. So uh, I never was identified as gifted though, but I always participated in programs like Olympics of the Mind, um, different things like that, that I would use my creativity and my voice and leadership. So um, I did things like Girl State and I went to Governor Youth Conference. And of course I was a resident assistant in college and and I, I took on a lot of leadership um, positions like okay. vice president of my class, um, high school and in college, so. Okay, all right. So you've, you've shared a lot with us in that short um, bit of time. Uh, you said something that I don't know if we've ever had a discussion about that we have in common. Number one, I did not want to be a teacher growing up. And number two, um, I was made to teach at church as well by my grandmother. Okay. She used to make me, long story short, she used to have me, we had a, a lady who was the superintendent over our Sunday school and church. So she would just preside over whatever ceremony we were having, whether it was a rather a regular church service or 
Sunday school is a small church, but or even a special program like for Easter or what have you. If she was not there, my grandmother would make me do it from a very young age. Like she would have me as a child go up and basically be the MC for the whole ceremony. Wow. And um, I'm not sure why she did that, but she also would make me volunteer me to teach Sunday school classes to teenagers who were older than I was. Okay. <laughs> and so I guess maybe it was in the back of my mind, but that's not what I um, initially had set out to do. So you also talked about yourself in a lot of leadership roles and how your teacher helped you to build confidence and she just kind of propped you up mm -hmm. um, to, to encourage you to share your, your skills in reading and that sort of thing. And that can do a lot for a kid at a young age, especially as young as six or in, in first grade. Did, do you remember um, even being aware that there that a giftedness was a thing when you were in elementary school? Do you know if your school had a program? We did, um, and I did take the test. I remember taking a test for it, and I wanted to perform well on it, um, but I, I never was identified as gifted though. But I do remember um, I took all of the accelerated classes, like honors classes starting in like seven or eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I took honors all the way through high school, uh, starting when I was in junior high school or middle school. So, but um, yeah. So I do remember there being a component of a gifted test and I remember having to take it. I do remember taking one. Okay. All right, so uh, so let's talk about um, college. You and I attended college together, and we went to a college that was specifically that had a, um, a department, a degree for educators. It was actually as a part of its mission, its original purpose, um, targeted um, white males to become teachers, to become educators. So it was a college that was known for having a good. Um, teacher prep program. Do you remember taking any of those classes? And do you remember how they prepared you for um, becoming a teacher? And when it comes to working with students of special populations, whether it's giftedness or special ed, and I know that you were a special ed major. So excluding your um, core major classes, just through the edge of the um, College of Education in particular, do you remember any specific emphasis on classes that were designed to help you to have strategies to teach those special populations of kids? Well, I mean, um, like you said, once you get into your specific major, and I was a special education major, that's when you start taking the meat of the classes. Those other classes are just general classes, but I felt pretty prepared overall when I left uh, college for teaching. So I feel like the uh, school we attended did prepare us for the classroom. So um, I, I felt pretty confident and I felt like I had a, a solid education when I left and started teaching, but okay. yeah. So, but yes, I did take some classes that work with a gifted population though. And um, specifically um, children um, who have learning disabilities. That's good and that's rare. Um, even today, not much has changed with that. Like there's not really a lot of emphasis on that. 
Mm -hmm. Especially if you're not like a special education major. Like even with my kids and my kids are, one of them is still in elementary, but when my oldest was in third grade, she had a first year teacher who had not had any exposure to that. And she went to a private teacher's college. What's interesting to me is now in the education realm, wherever, well, I can just speak from the two districts that I have been employed with, you're required to take a gifted and talented class. It's like 10 hours. So it's a part of your certification now. Like you have to have that. And they will flag you and let you know when you don't have it and that you need it. So, in your school district? Yes. And both okay. that I worked with, there was a course that you had to take on gifted and talented. That's good because that means that some things are changing, um, but not fast enough. <laughs> That's good. So um, can you share a little bit, a little bit about um, your son and his um, educational experience when it comes to things that he did that stood out to you that were unique and maybe not um, things that kids the same age were doing. Now, before you answer, I do want to just say this, even though I'm an educator and I have a master's degree in education, and I, I do, um, I am one of those people who loves to learn. So I love school and I do research on my own and I'm invested in it. When, when my kids were little and they were doing things that were not what kids their age do, at first I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it until a little bit later. I'm like, okay, this is not normal. <laughs> and sometimes some other people can notice it before you do. Can you think of things that you noticed about your child um, just throughout his development? Well, one specific thing was um, he always had a really good ear for music. And so a friend of mine talked us into getting him piano lessons. And we didn't have a piano at the time. And, and most kids, uh, it's really hard to for me to invest in something unless I see that they're really interested in it. So we had a keyboard, actually my mother-in-law had a keyboard. And so we let him do music lessons or whatever, piano lessons. And um, he had a, he would not, he hated to practice though. But um, one time the piano teacher was showing him the different scales or whatever, and he will watch her hand. And then he would just um, repeat what she was doing and he would just pick up on the notes and she was the first person to say Bryce I think you can play by ear but you need to practice and learn this music so that's one of the first instances that I remember the other one is he is a gifted artist visually so he was um, doing artwork um, let's say he was seven and eight but it looked like artwork of uh, maybe a junior or senior in high school and so I worked in a high school and I worked with art teachers and I would take his work and they would say, oh, his work is so good. You should get him in the gifted and talented program, you know? And so I knew that, you know, he had a gift in that area. And so I started seeking out ways to help uh, continue to motivate that gift or encourage it or, you know, nurture it. So we would sign up in the summertime for him to go to different camps and stuff so that he would continue to um, progress in that area. Yeah, and that's the whole point. Like um, I, I was in a recent interview as well. And when it comes to giftedness, 
my main focus is not about how high somebody's IQ is. The most important thing for me is identifying these kids so that you can um, have a sense of their strengths and weaknesses. Yes. And as a parent and as an educator, you can help guide them because if, if, if somebody is working with a kid that they don't know is gifted, they're going to miss some things or they're going to misread some things because they are a highly misunderstood population. And it's, it can really get in the way of their progression. As a matter of fact, it can set them back. Um, and it can make them shut down um, because gifted kids are not always known for, they're not always known for standing out in performance, even if they have the capacity to. Right. Well, I'm glad you said that because I feel like that's that's been one of our greatest um, uh, avenues to helping him to perform well in school was finding teachers and helping them to understand him as a learner. So like his third grade teacher, she was really good. They realized that he had a skill set that he the, the visual arts was a really, really good skill set for him. And so they would incorporate things where he would be able to use that and that would help build his confidence. And so um, that's helped us a lot for me to have that communication with his teachers when I see different things, let them know early on, hey, he's really, really good at this, you know, at his strengths. And so I'm grateful that he was in an elementary school where he had uh, educators, teachers, and administrators that would listen to parents and take our feedback and try to couple him um, with teachers that would work with his strengths. So we yeah, that's good because um, a lot of teachers don't don't see it that way. A lot of them feel like they don't have the time to work with kids who don't um, fall into, um, I guess, what you would call a mainstream category. Um, so as an educator, let me have you put your educator hat on, educator slash parent, parent slash parent. I don't think you can ever take that off. It's always in your mind somewhere. But if you could speak to a parent who does have a child who's gifted, or maybe they're twice exceptional, and they're struggling with something like maybe they have dyslexia, or maybe they have dyscalculia, or dyscalculia, however you want to pronounce that. Um, and they're just not getting through to the teacher. Would you have any advice for them in that type of a situation? Uh, exactly. Uh, I would because what I do is try to help parents to identify the resources that's available. Um, there's a lot of mis uh, misperceptions about um, 504 and special education and some people see it as a stigma but there are a lot of services that students can get for instance like 504 uh, 504 is up under IDA uh, individuals with uh, education act with disabilities and it's the students who are the general population they may not have a learning disability but they may have something like dyslexia and they have an average IQ but they need specific learning to help them and and being identified will allow them to get extra time allow them to chunk their information differently so that they can learn it better so I really try to help parents understand what 504 is and how it will serve their student and they can take it with them outside of high school even when they go to college so that's my main piece helping parents to understand that that it is a service 
and they can use it to their students' benefit. They can get extra time on the ACT, on the SAT, on their test during class. Um, so yeah, all of that. So I'm gonna ask you to put on another hat. So let's say you have a colleague who is a teacher um, who doesn't want to provide these services that this kid has been identified as needing, needing and they have a 504 plan in writing or they have an IEP, but the teacher just won't implement them because they say the kid is lazy. If you could talk to that colleague, what would you say to them? Well, you know, that's a federal law. I mean, they don't have a choice. They have to show where they're, I mean, they do, but they better not fail them. <laughs> and I know about it because I am going to ask them if they've been providing those accommodations and if they've been providing uh, following the plan because that student has to have it. I mean, it's not that they're being lazy. A lot of, I mean, I can, I can say this because it's my child. My, my son is a student under 504 and it's because he has ADHD. Uh, we identified him probably when he was about 10 years old. I saw some gaps in his learning and I kept saying, mm, he should be getting that a lot sooner than what he was getting. So even though he might be, you know, um, gifted artistically and athletically, he struggled in math because he just, you know, one of those kids that uh, struggle with ex executive functioning. So just organization and time management and those different things. And when math is so sequential and foundational, you know, if you don't get the first thing, you're going to be lost on the second thing. So he's a kid that would just just could not get those things. And so um, or was learning them a lot slower than other kids. So I finally we broke down. We went and had the test done and it did come back that he was ADD. He was mildly ADD. And we tried lots of different things. But um, when it comes to him getting his accommodations as a parent, I'm definitely on top of it. And I'm definitely making sure I'm communicating with those teachers, allowing them or letting them know that he gets extra time. I'm working with the academic specialist or the 504 coordinator to make sure that the teachers are getting that information and that they are you know, adequately giving them his services. And I do that for all my students. I sit in lots of 504 meetings. And when they ask me about a student needing extra time or I find out what the disability is and I know like dyslexia or even with ADD, those kids need more time. It's not that they're being lazy. They might process the information a lot slower and a lot of them get anxiety. They're very anxious. Absolutely. Like that, my son, he was not performing as well on his math test because he was feeling rushed. Yes. Well, as soon as we identified that and he was able to go to the academic specialist to do his test, he began to make better grades because he didn't feel the pressure or the uh, feel as nervous about getting finished. And he was able to take his time and actually process the math versus trying to hurry up and finish and making silly errors. So I, I, uh, I'm a proponent of that. I'm, I'm gonna push it. That's good, that's good, that's good. So not all kids have a, a parent who is an educator and who understands how to navigate through the system. What advice would you have for parents when they are going to a 504 meeting or an IEP meeting? I see in a, in a lot of my groups, I see a lot of parents who are going into those meetings and it, it may not even be the first one that they've gone to, but they go into it with a high sense of anxiety. 
because they feel like on the other side of the table, they're going to be ganged up on and they feel like they're going to get pushback for the services that their kid needs. How would you um, advise them to come into the meeting prepared? Well, for me, um, I think that like if they can get outside testing a lot of times that helps um, because um, they don't have to wait on the school to get it. They already have someone to provide that information, reading over those reports, understanding those reports, and most importantly, showing how it will benefit their, their student and help make their student more successful with it than without it. So um, I think um, that's one of the things I think that parents need to do and just be persistent. Um, if they see that their kid is struggling, I think they need to persistently speak with a teacher, speak with a counselor um, about, you know, their child's grade. Stay on top of your student's grade. Stay in communication with your, your, your student's teachers. I, I don't feel like educators, for the most part, are out there to deny student services. They just want to make sure that, you know, there is a lot of people who understand that there are services and some people are trying to take advantage of it and kind of get a get ahead, you know, to make their kids test scores a lot better. But on the flip side, there are a lot of parents who just don't know what to do and they just want to get help with their kids. Now, I saw your expression and I'm going to tell you, I agree with you in the terms of uh, giftedness when it deals with out of the realm of special education, because I, I, I dealt with that too. I thought about my son being gifted, but I was talked out of it. That's, I, I want to talk about that later. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, I was out of it. And they were like, oh, he, you know, he's not gifted or, you know, those kids do certain things and they this and they that. But, you know, um, you know, again, like I said, the preparedness part, do your own testing. You know, if the school doesn't want to do it, hopefully maybe you have insurance and they can can do that for you. Go and get said. We had to pay for the, the test out of our pocket, even though we had insurance, though. But it was important to me. So we paid. For OK. On that note, sorry to interrupt you. I do want to, for our listeners out there who I think, I'm glad you said that they should get outside testing because there is a way that you can get it filed on your insurance. I've done it twice and all I paid was 50 bucks each for my kid when it's thousands of dollars for those tests. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what you need to do is you need to call up your insurance company and make sure that you have um, a category for like behavioral medicine, or it's under the same category that you would get counseling services if you needed to see a psychologist. And what you do is you ask for an evaluation to be done on your child that includes an IQ test as well as learning disability tests. You have to say it that way because there's a certain code that comes with that label and you can um, apply it to your insurance if it's covered on that. So right. we're probably going to have to have him retested because it's like his three year evaluation. I wish they would stop that, too. Like, stop testing these kids. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, that's good to know, because I'm like, oh, I mean, I wanted to go back to the place where he had uh, originally been tested, but they're not even like available or they rearranged it some kind of way. He went to Children's Hospital, but uh, that particular unit is not set up that way anymore. And so I have to figure out where to take them next though. Yeah, we, you and I can talk about that offline, but I, I want to also put out there a place that you can go to possibly see um, if you can find counselors in your area that would be good for 
this kind of testing? Because I, I recommend that people go to a neuropsychologist because they tend to give you more of a 360 view of everything when it comes to strengths and weaknesses. It's just a more comprehensive evaluation. And you, you even have to vet those too because they're not all created equally. But there is a website that you can go to. It's called Hoagies Gifted um, Learners or something like that. It's Hoagies and Gifted, H-O-A-G-I-E-S. And they have a lot of information that is for gifted education, but they also have a, um, like a special section that lists um, specific doctors that are good to do evaluations of this sort. So that's something that's like national? Yeah, they have them listed by state. So you just click on your state and they, yeah, like they even have schools listed there that are good for gifted learners and stuff like that but they have um, facilities and, and people who can do these tests that you want. 